So, um, why don't you turn your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. I want to talk about the spiritual identity uh, that God gives in appointed names. Um, spiritual identity in the Bible that talks about that. So, in Philippians 2, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, has bestowed on him, again Jesus, the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, which is Joshua in the Hebrew, which is Yahweh saves, okay, or delivers, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the mention and the trumpeting of that name, even eschatologically, what we know is that every knee is going to bow. And every tongue will confess the name of Jesus Joshua the Christ, the Messiah, who's really the king of the whole earth, the Lord. The, he's to the glory of God the Father, they're going to do this thing. And so, Jesus has got the name that's above every name. And names are important. Obviously, uh, Jesus is the greater Joshua. The, the biblical Old Testament Joshua led Israel. He finished what Moses started. Moses gets them out of Egypt, which is one thing, to get out of trouble, out of the pickle of hell and sin. But that's not the fullness. God gets us out so he can take us in. He gets you out. We're preaching this to internationals. We brought Chinese people and India people, and we're preaching. They're doing amazing things, healing people in their pain. But we're preaching to them, God doesn't just want to get people out of their pain. He wants to bring them into a vibrant love relationship with him. Getting people out of the pain physically or in their soul and especially in their spirit is a means to the end. The end is God's making lovers of God in these last days. He's looking for worshipers. And so uh, Joshua finishes what Moses was doing and takes them in to begin to possess the land that's in that area. So according to the Bible, a name is more than a mere designation of a human person. It's more pointedly connected to the prophetic purpose or the spiritual identity of that person, okay? So the, the Bible speaks of how a name is, again, yeah, yeah, that's Jesse and that's James and I'm Sam and we can distinguish each other, but there's more going on with our names than just uh, a designation. There's a spiritual identity. There's a purpose. So, in your Bible, from the beginning, the headwaters of humanity, Adam means man. He's man. And all that I mean for man, not again just a physiological uh, male, but a glory of God image-bearing person. I'm going to multiply this in the earth. Eve means living. She would be alive, but she would carry life. It's amazing. The, the glory of man and woman and marriage and how God was going to fill the earth. And he, So Eve, it call her living. Living was her destiny to carry that life. Moses means drawn out. Moses' name, because he was picked up, you remember that, out of the river? He's in that little grass thing and he's floating and he's drawn out of the river. And when that happens and they say, you're Moses, that's actually pre-looking 80 years ahead where he's going to draw out a whole nation. His purpose and his destiny, I don't think they knew that at all. 80 years, they're just, they got a boy out of the, they saved a little Hebrew boy from being aborted, from being killed, and when they did it, Moses, and that destiny sat on him for 80 years until he fulfilled that. I promise you that you do not have your name by accident. You do not have your name um, in, in, in the natural, and the Bible talks about he gives us a new name. 
And there's a spiritual name and meaning to the one we have or a renaming as we'll get to some here. Samuel means heard of God. Hannah wanted a baby real bad. Gets a baby and she names him, God heard me. <laughs> this baby's about hearing from God. And if you read about Samuel, his whole life is being the prophet. He transitioned us from the 400 years of tragedy and judges, bad leaders, bad time, to a glorious time with David, a man after God's own heart. He moved them from that pain to presence in a wonderful way because he heard God. So sometimes names were changed even to show and highlight progression. Listen, because this may happen for you may change your name to, for a progression of God's purpose in your life. Did you know in your Bible, near 60 times, names are changed. They're changed. And not always by the Lord, but mostly inspired by the Lord. And they actually had names that meant something. So Abram is the first name of Abram. Abram and Sari are called at 75 and 65 out of their father's land, out of Haran, and they're, they're called into the promised land in that area, and his name means exalted father, which is pretty good. But 24 years later, after some stumblings and an Ishmael, and he's good as dead, is what it says in, the, in Romans chapter 4, God changes his name, and his name is Abraham. And Abraham meant, went from exalted father to the father of many. And what a faith statement. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this preached, but it's an amazing thing. Sari, in the same way, she, you know, this, this, this name of hers uh, meant that she was a princess, and then she's the mother of many. And so they're calling each other a name at old, old people. They got no kids. Well, he's got Ishmael. But the Lord's speaking to him, and they're by faith saying, hey, father of many, come, it's supper time. Hey, father of many, take the trash out. Whatever it is, they're just speaking by faith something that hadn't happened yet. God does that. He speaks it often, so often before it actually happens as we embrace it by faith. I tell you tonight that God sovereignly made you in your mother and father's womb. Psalms 139, that's why we're pro-life. He knitted you together. And I was preaching to a bunch of Mennonite kids up today, up at Tabor College about purpose and living in your purpose. And I'm like, listen, God had thoughts when he was knitting you together. He wasn't just randomly making another human being. He's thinking about how he formed you. Sure, two biological people. People did what it takes to go forward, but God in the middle of all that is sovereignly interposing, giving you your personality. He's designed then for gifts to come for an assignment on planet earth because God clearly is not doing this by himself. He's doing it with a people. Jacob means supplanter and deceiver. It's changed after a wrestling match with an angel that he limps for the rest of his life to Israel, which means overcame with God. Simon, in the, in, this, in, the, in the New Testament, is called by Jesus, and his name means listen, but it changed to Peter the Rock, or Little Rock is what some people call it, because his destiny is going to be carrying the faith that's the rock upon which Jesus will build the church. So, we tried to, since the season, Amy and I did in our lives, when we named our kids, it was a big deal to name our kids. It wasn't like, hey, which soap opera thing did we just watch? And there was a cool name. Now, I'm okay if, if you did that. I think God sovereignly interposes in the middle of that. But we tried to, while Amy was pregnant, discern what season we're in, what's going on in the family, and we named them. Jesse's name is on purpose. It was in our heart during that season that he would raise up and be the father of many Davids. Then we get, we get the three boys, Samuel, Stephen, Jesse, and then it's faith, grace, mercy, 
glory, patience, pick a fruit of the Spirit, and you got our kids. But we would, in each season, name them because of what God was sowing in our heart. And so it's been fun for how the Lord through our lives has used them in, 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 in really clear ways in our life and what they carry in their life that's connected to that name. I'm not saying you all have to do that, but I'd think about it. I think a name's an important thing. It identifies the nature of that person. If you didn't think about it, don't worry about it because you got a big God. you got a big God that watches over you. So the Lord has used my name Samuel in significant ways actually to humble me and reset my trajectory. I've always had some grace and zeal, measures of anointing and authority from when I was 20, but I didn't have character. I just didn't have the character. And I was constantly seduced to use the dynamic grace and anointing authority got me to actually build my thing. I'm mostly over that. <laughs> I feel more to still have to repent and clear. I got some good people around me that remind me about it. But, but the Lord used my name like five to seven years ago to reset the tra trajectory of my life. And he said to me, I remember where I was in El Dorado when he spoke, driving with Amy down, down by Orshelins, that area. And I'm like, the Lord says, to, in my heart, your name is Samuel on purpose. I did not call you to be a king. I called you to raise up kings. When that happened, I mean, that may not sound much to you, it was a huge moment for me. And I feel like the Lord followed that up with most of your temptations for pride and ministry have been because you want to be a king. And I, I, in that moment, had enough fear of the Lord and sensitivity that I responded and went, oh no, that's, yes, this explains so much. And it put me in a position of service. I want to raise up kings. And by the way, I mean that in a good way. I think a bunch of you are kings. I think the, the Bible calls you a royal priesthood. There is nothing that gives me more pleasure than praying a prophetic role, a supporting role in great leaders' lives. I love it. I just love it. And now that I'm done building my thing, I'm just serving the body. I'm telling you, it's like there's wind behind me that's just pleasurable. So we use my name as a trajectory shifter to take me down up under people instead of trying to be up over people. Does that make sense? I think there's hidden stuff in your names. I think it's sovereign. I think it's, it's powerful what's going on. And, um, and I don't want to get weird on that, but I share all this because this is a biblical concept. And I share it for three reasons, really. Three reasons. Number one, that, that, that the name of Jesus would become bigger to you than it's been before. I hope you'll meditate on the name that's above every name. Just say the phrase, the name that's above every name. Make it bigger than any name. Linked into worship and glory. I hope that us meditating on in this does that for you. Number two, I believe that your name is significant and connected to a sovereign work of the Lord in your life. I believe that with all my heart, and so I want you to think about it. I want you to think about why is your name John, or why is it Bob, or why is it... I, just, I want you to pursue that. Don't get weird. Stay focused on the name of Jesus. Don't get odd about this thing. I don't want to lead you into that, but I want you to think about how sovereign your God is over your life, and it's no accident who you were born to, when you were born, where you were born, Acts 17, Paul says that. God determined the boundaries. I, I think about that a lot. Like, why wasn't I born in Africa 700 years ago? You know, in a village somewhere with no electricity. It's strange. Why am I born now? Well, it's for purpose sake. It's for purpose sake. I wasn't made for that. My boundaries and my generation is right now. And oh, how I want to serve my generation and the Lord's purpose in the midst of that. I pray that you'll get more sober and locked in praying about that without being too focused on yourself. 
And then lastly, I do it because of this. The Lord named his church. The Lord said a name. Anytime he said a name, Peter, he meant rock. Israel, you're the overcomer, my prince, okay? Abraham, father of many. When God calls something a name, listen, out from the mind of Yahweh in his heart, he's talking about its spiritual identity, the core of who it is. Did God name his church? I believe he did. Isaiah 56 verse 7, he said, and all these Gentiles and foreigners I'm going to draw in, they shall come into my house of prayer. For my house shall be called, what? A house of prayer for all nations. Jesus, with zeal, at the end of his ministry, rips through the temple in Matthew 21, 12, 13, and 14, turns over the compromise, and you heard me say it before, you and I, what do we get when we forsake our place of, spiritual, of being a prayer people? We get a consumer culture. That's what you get in the church. You get a consumer culture. That's what Jesus found. And it wasn't the main problem. The main problem was they weren't walking out their prophesied identity. Because he clears it all out, then he says it, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And when he says it, he's saying something about what we're to be most known by. Let me just go off on that. And maybe all of that was just an introduction for me to go off on prayer. And here's what I'm going to do. Maybe. I'm just saying. That's our spiritual identity. It's not, the, it's not a couple of people in here's identification. It's all of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're, it's us. The Bible, I just want to be a good Bible guy. The Bible lists no gift of intercession or prayer. Nothing. It's never there. Okay? Call to prayer is a call for all of us in all its different forms, its fashions, and its manifestations. It really could be, and some make the case, our eternal identity. Forever in the millennial reign and the new heaven, new earth, that will be a house of prayer. Not, not all that we do or all that we are, but definitely at the core of who we are. So listen for just a minute, because this is going to lead us into our lab time. So who are we? We are a supernaturally born family who are perpetually interacting with a living God. That's who we are, and that's what I mean by prayer. I don't mean um, by prayer that you attend a 6.30 prayer meeting and you say a certain amount of words with the people in a circle. That is prayer, but prayer is more than that. Prayer and a house of prayer means I want a people, supernaturally born, who are talking to me. I want a kingdom dialogue, not a ministry monologue. God designed us to dialogue with him. It's not normal Christianity if you're not talking with the Lord. You won't talk like I talk. You want to talk? There's lots of help with talking. The Lord's Prayer, praying Bible verses. We're trying to get 100,000 people praying the same scriptures every week. You've got a prayer manual here. I know how you can have a dynamic prayer life. Pray the Bible. But also pray from your heart. Pray what's in your heart. Pray about your situation. God wants the people who talk to him. <laughs> is that real profound? I mean, this is not rocket science. You can either act like you're in the Old Covenant... You, get, you go on Sunday and hear your Moses tell you what God said, then you go out by yourself and try to figure it out and work it out. I think that's a terrible way to live. I think we're supposed to be people that are in a constant conversation. So did Paul. That's why he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. 
That isn't like a burden on you. Oh, you're not praying enough. Everybody in this room that's ever felt a little bit of guilt or condemnation that your prayer life's not good enough, please say, oh my. Yeah, yeah, but we all, don't, we all struggle with it. You really got to quit that. The devil hates your prayer life and your flesh doesn't want to do it, okay? Let's just settle it. There's war over this maybe more than anything in your life. Maybe over more than anything. It's trying to break you from having relationship with the living God. Because this is the bada bing. This is what he wants us to be. Jesus is the beginning fulfillment of the temple according to John 2.21. He'll say, tear down this temple. I'll rebuild it in three days. Oh my gosh, it took us 46 years. He goes, no, they understood. He's talking about his body. He's saying, I'm the temple. I'm the temple now. I'm transferring from that location building to me. I'll die, raise again, birth a bunch of people, and they'll be called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you that our identity is being a house of prayer. Jesus did this in his three-year ministry. He's constantly slipping away to pray. It frustrates the disciples who have agendas. And he's having really good prayer meetings. Let me tell you, let me tell you when you know you're having a really good prayer meeting. Let's just say you're praying somewhere with some of your disciples, and all of a sudden you start shining like the sun, and Moses and Elijah show up. That's a pretty good prayer meeting. <laughs> I've not had one like that yet. But Jesus, is, it says in Luke, he's praying. Then he starts to shine and turn white and glow and Moses and Elijah, who are dead, but they're alive, show up and, man, that's, I'm looking forward to prayer meetings like that. But Jesus is constantly praying. John 5, 19, he'll say, I'm only doing what the Father's doing. I'm talking with him constantly. I didn't set out every day to be a Messiah. I set out every day talking with my daddy, talking with my papa. Luke 5, 16 will say that. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. And Hebrews 7, 25 says he didn't just do it in his ministry. What's Jesus doing right now, everybody? He's praying. Hebrews 7, 25 says he ever lives to intercede. He's in a resurrected Jewish man's body bearing scars in the heavenly realms right now praying for you and I. I think that's a little picture of what you and I are going to do. We're going to not, we won't stop praying when this life is done. We're going to keep talking to our God. That's all prayer means, is dialogue with Him. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, is working in all of us, His temple, to get us to our place of prophesied spiritual identity. I promise you that the Holy Spirit is not just now through a spitting, yelling, talking too fast, average preacher, which is what I am, okay? He's not just appealing to you now. He's constantly wooing your heart to your spiritual identity. To be a house of prayer. And the devil is constantly trying to distract you and to get you into a lifelong monologue of just thinking, thinking what you want to do instead of having this dialogue with him. It's what's the battle, primary battle around your heart. I believe we are in the middle of a house of prayer cultural revolution in the church right now globally. And that's a big statement. There's a house of prayer cultural revolution going on right now. It's an amazing thing. There will be a day, I promise you, where church staffs are known more for prayer than planning. It's coming. It's not here. It's not here. I'm not being condemning. We're still spending way more time planning, decorating, and he's going to move us. How much is enough prayer? I don't know. The Lord gets to decide that. But he's going to raise up where we're known. They look, the world looks at us and goes, what do they do the most? Oh my gosh, they pray all the time. They're interacting with their God and they won't stop it. 
They keep talking and being filled with him and moving out from him. We are transitioning from a prayerless church culture that asks for a couple minutes of prayer blessing upon hours of work, which is what we've done. God, we do pray, Lord, bless this, and now we'll get to work. When the work is the prayer, he's transitioned to a house of prayer people who live and work in a spirit of prayer. Last couple statements. All of hell is against this happening. I don't just say that for drum, dramatic. I just know it. It rages again. The number one thing I'm called to is not lead prayer movements in the state and to disciple. My number one call is in my chair at home praying for all of your souls and praying for the state. It's me being in the presence of God and loving him, and it's my favorite place to be even more than to be with you. The flesh in disciples is resistant to this culture happening. A religious spirit has no place for this to happen, so we need a miracle. But the Lord is radically committed, and you help me with this. This is a sermon I just did. The Lord is radically committed by saying my house should be a house of prayer. Is that what he said? He didn't say should. What did he say? Say it to me. He said shall. There's a should in the shall, but the shall is more than a should. This is good news for us. I know I should pray more, but I've got a shall prophetic prayer. I've got Yahweh's passionate commitment that I'm going to be a man of prayer. That encourages me because i got some resolve, but that he's resolved is awesome. So you shall be. We shall be. You're going to see a presence-filled body of Christ that's not consumer-based, that's bringing transformation to the cities. I, I just think we're headed there. And it's not going to be somebody had a big plan on how to do church better. I have no time for the next book about how I can get a bunch of people into a building. I just, we just, we need, we need fathers and mothers in the faith that would lead us to the presence of God. God must become popular in his church once more. Not just for what he can do for us and get us out of, but because he is. We love him. We love him. He's our favorite one. We're talking to him and we're moving out from that spirit. So, Father, I offer that on this altar and to these sweet people and those that will listen and watch later. I'm asking you take the weakness of what that was and do something that only your Holy Spirit can do. I thank you that you have sovereign commitment that we shall be a house of prayer one day. That temple that went from just selling and money changers and compromise moved to a place of healing. You healed the blind. You heal. Glorious presence of God prayer that transforms lives. Lord, I thank you for your commitment. I pray the seeds that are sown into our hearts would come into agreement with the work of your Holy Spirit. And I pray you take us all to the next place of prayer.